from what we read today, from what we heard last week from our mission partners in China who live under oppression, who have to worship in secret. I'm so thankful for the blessing of freedom. I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to be an American and to have the opportunity to worship freely. Now, I know it's not cool in 2017 to talk about such things. And some would even say it's not appropriate to hear the Declaration of Independence read. Some might even say we shouldn't even have a flag on the stage any longer. Um, I am thankful that we live in the freedom that America provides. But what I want to do today is I want to talk about an even better freedom. A freedom that exists for anyone, whether they're American, Chinese, Indian, South American, African, whatever. And it's the freedom that Jesus Christ provides. See, being a follower of Jesus brings the promise of true independence regardless of nationality. See, this morning, July 2nd, Christ's followers have gathered for worship all over the world. And some of them are doing it in the open and, and, and reading the Declaration of Independence and having a wonderful time. And some are hiding in basements. But all can celebrate the freedom that only Jesus brings. So this morning, I want to do two things. I want to talk about what it means from a spiritual perspective to say, let freedom ring. I want to talk about the freedom that followers of Jesus have. And then I want to do something you've probably never heard before in a sermon. You may never hear it again. But I want to look at three mottos, three idioms that are kind of synonymous with patriotism. You're going to hear them thrown out this weekend and into Tuesday more than likely. And what I love about all three is they are chalked full of awesome theology. So that's what we're going to do today, and I'm going to try to do it in the next several minutes. Let freedom ring. Bottom line, if you get nothing else today, grab this. Followers of Christ have freedom because of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, we're not here to worship America. We're not here to worship George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, even though I'm so thankful for those men. We are here to worship Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light at the end of the tunnel that God's people had been opining for for centuries. For centuries they said, we want a Savior. For centuries they said, we want a Messiah. And Jesus, in a very succinct way, kind of summarizes what he is bringing in John chapter 5 when he says these words in verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word, whoever believes him who sent me has eternal life, will not be condemned. I love this. That's why I underlined it. He is crossed over from death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life, to freedom. And so being a follower of Jesus means freedom from a whole plethora of things. I want to just highlight three this morning. Number one is this, being a follower of Jesus brings freedom from legalism. It brings freedom from the law. It brings freedom from what I like to call report card Christianity. Anyone here ever guilty of falling into the trap of report card Christianity, legalism? i got to go to church so I can get the check off. I've got to give the offering so I can get the check off. I've got to serve in a ministry so I can get the check off. 
And the hope is at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the year or the end of my life, I've got enough positive checks that God's going to look at me and he's going to say, well, you didn't do so well in that season of life, but there's more positives than negatives, so come on in. Anybody like report card day? My kids like report card day. I hated report card day because I didn't work hard in school. Kids, work hard in school. Get good grades on your report cards. I would try to rush home and get the mail before my mom would get the mail because I didn't want her to see the report card. Anybody ever done that before? Here's the thing. Because of Jesus, because of the freedom Jesus provides, we're free from this report card Christianity, this checkoff Christianity. Paul really summarizes it well in Colossians chapter 2. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 13. He says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that as many against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it, to the cross. Think about that for just a moment. He took away the junk. He took away the legalism. He took away the report card. He nailed it to the cross. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christian, and you're traveling down this report card trail, this checkoff trail, give it up, literally give it up, and revel in the freedom of Jesus. Second freedom Jesus brings is a freedom from sin. And most of you probably had that one sniffed out. That's an obvious one, but it must be stated. We can't go this morning and talk about freedom in Christ without talking about freedom from sin. In the Old Testament, sin's a big deal. In the New Testament, sin's a big deal. My Sunday school class is getting ready to journey through Romans over the next four or five months. Sin's a big deal. And Jesus canceled the, the challenge for all who call on his name. 1 John 1, 9. I love this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just. He'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, a verse that doesn't make logical sense to me. I don't get it, but I'm thankful for it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for you, to be sin for me, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to become a follower of Jesus. You need to embrace this freedom from sin. And if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, and you're allowing sin to still dog you, you're allowing sin to still haunt you, claim that new creation that we read about in the Bible. If anyone's in Christ, they're new. They're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Followers of Christ have freedom from legalism. Followers of Christ have freedom from sin. And then number three, this is a good Fourth of July word, followers of Christ have freedom from tyranny. We don't use that word tyranny in 2017 a whole lot. It's not a, a contemporary word necessarily. John Stott, the late John Stott, one of the great preachers, 
of, uh, of my lifetime and, and beyond, wrote that there are two primary tyrannies that are still binding Christians today. And if we were going to be honest with ourselves, I, I bet many of us have struggled with these tyrannies that oppress not non-Christians, but Christians. And the first tyranny is the tyranny of guilt. It's the tyranny that I'm not good enough. It's the tyranny that my past is still relevant. And so if you find yourself struggling with past failure, if you find yourself not, you hear me talk about the new creation, and you say, man, that'd be great, but you don't know my life. You don't know my junk. You don't know my stuff. You don't know my baggage. Let it go. Love what the psalmist says. As far as the east is, from the west. That's how far our sins are from the Father's heart. He's forgotten. He loves you. Revel in the blessing of relationship. The second tyranny is, I think, even more damning in some ways. If I can use that word, I probably shouldn't have, but too late now. It's already on the recording. So um, it's the tyranny of self. Let's use first service. Let's do the, the first service uh, audio recording. It's the tyranny of self. And what's the tyranny of self? That's where you buy the lie of modern culture that the most important thing in the world is you and what you think and where you're at and where you go. And I think we've all probably been guilty of it at times. It, it rears its ugly head sometimes like this. We walk out of church and we say, well, I didn't really like that song. I didn't really like the, 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 the big band or the lack of the band or no band didn't really care for that scripture. I didn't really care for that meditation. I didn't like that. And before long, if we're not careful, we've started buying the lie that it's really all about me, the consumer mentality. That's why Jesus said to people that wanted to come after him, if anyone would come after me, what did he say? You must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily, every day, and follow me. What's he saying? You have to die to self. And when you truly die to self, then you can truly live. Stott writes, true freedom in Christ only happens when people die to self. And he says, sadly, there are people that have been followers of Jesus most of their life, and they still truly haven't died to self. Okay, that's part one. That wasn't too bad. Let freedom ring. Let's transition to part two, American slogans that actually contain, I would say, great theology. So before we put any up on the screen, think for a moment. What's your favorite American slogan? I don't do this first service because they get nervous, but turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor your favorite American slogan if you want to. Do it now. That means talk in church. Go for it. Do it. Favorite American slogan. Favorite American slogan. Do you have a favorite American slogan? Okay, good. Stop talking. I'm giving you three. They're not the only three. I like them. I had people coming up to me afterwards sharing other slogans or idioms, and that's great, mottos, whatever it may be. Here are three. See if you connect with them. The first one is this. Freedom is not free. 
Anybody say that, by the way? Anybody come up with that? Anyone? Right, way to go. Freedom is not free. Well, this actually has been around for quite a while, but it's really gained momentum publicly in about the last 16, 17 years. On the heels of 9-11, more and more people began to, to echo this, and this is an unapologetic way of saying thank you to the men and the women who have served our country in the military. And so I know it's not Veterans Day, and I know it's not Memorial Day, but because we're talking about this, if you are someone who is serving or has served our military, I'd like you to stand up right now, and we would like to thank you for your service. Thank you. And so when I say freedom is not free, I'm reminded that for every person that stood up here, there's probably some central Illinois people that aren't with us because they paid the ultimate price. Now, where's the theology in it, you may be wondering. Here's the theology in it. Freedom in Christ is not free. Freedom in Christ is not cheap. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 1. He said, you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. God's greatest gift was not cheap. God's greatest gift was not free. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. And so I'm reminded of the words of Bonhoeffer. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote uh, that incredible book, The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he talks about the terrible scourge of cheap grace. And so I want to remind you today that we have to be careful not to embrace cheap grace. What's cheap grace? Cheap grace is very popular today, by the way. Cheap grace says, get to go to heaven, sign me up. Absolutely. Forgiveness of sins, I'm all in. Die to self, I don't know about that. Persecution and suffering, come on, what are you talking about? It's that idea that I'm all in when it's good and it's comfortable and it's pleasing and I can do what I want to do. Bonhoeffer said costly grace. It's what we must strive for. Freedom isn't free. Slogan number two, united we stand, divided we fall. Anybody have that one? United we stand, divided we fall? Okay. This actually has roots in both the Revolutionary War process and the Civil War. Um, early founding father John Dickinson actually wrote a song. Who knew that the founding fathers were songwriters? He wrote a song called the Liberty Song in 1768, and here is one of the lines from it. Then join hand in hand, brave Americans all, by uniting we will stand, by dividing we will fall. And the Kentucky people, they loved it so much that about 25, do we have anybody from Kentucky here? They adopted it as their state motto. United we stand, divided we fall. Patrick Henry, in his last public speech, uttered these words, let us trust God and our better judgment to set us right hereafter. United we will stand, divided we will fall. But it's probably most famous um, from a senatorial campaign that took place right here 
in the land of Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, 159 years ago in 1858, was running a race that he would actually lose to, to Douglas. But here is what he had to say about it. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest the further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that it is in the course of ultimate extinction, or its advocates will push it forward till it shall become alike lawful in all the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. Anyone know where he came up with this great concept? How about the Bible? How about the Bible, Mark chapter 3? Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so freedom in Christ calls followers of Christ to be like Christ when it comes to unity. United we stand, divided we fall. This church will never be what it could be. And I love this church, and I think this is a great church. But we will never be what we can be until we embrace united we stand, divided we fall. And we lay aside differences at the foot of the cross for the sake of the call. Jesus in John chapter 17 said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, and catch this, that all of them may be one. United we stand, divided we fall. Slogan number three, live free or die. And if you're driving around New Hampshire in a couple weeks, you would probably see on a license plate, live free or die. And uh, this is a slogan that's been around for a long, long time. It goes back to the revolutionary cause. General John Stark, revolutionary war hero, um, on one of the last public speeches of his life, offered a toast. And here's what he said, let us live free or die. Death is not the worst of all evils. And you may be saying, where's the theology in that? Here's the theology, and that freedom in Christ calls followers to live by the Spirit, to truly embrace what it means to live in the Spirit, to live the life of freedom. Galatians 5 says it like this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Last night, yesterday was quite a day. Um, made my way almost to Chicago, ended up going to St. Louis so I could pick up Jacob and Jordan. And when I arrived at the airport in St. Louis, I found out their flight was delayed yet again. And I walked into the terminal at, um, at Lambert Airport, only the Southwest Terminal, and it's normally um, not very busy at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. There were 200 people crammed into the fort. There was a band there. There was some gal singing. You know what it was? They were getting ready for an honor flight to come home. And uh, families, bikers, Vietnam veterans, Korean War veterans, Gulf War veterans, there to celebrate our greatest generation 
um, coming home from a very special day in uh, Washington, D.C. And I, I don't know why I'm crying. This wasn't in the notes. But um, I remember thinking, waiting for them to get off the plane. That's what heaven's going to be like, I think. I think there's going to be a great cloud of witnesses waiting for each and every one of us who live the life of freedom, live the life that only life through Jesus provides. And when we walk into whatever heaven's like, whatever, I don't know what it's like, whatever it's like, there'll be people waiting and cheering us on. Things like, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the hope that you bring us. Thank you for the freedom that we only find in Jesus. And God, the temptation with a message like this would be to somehow walk away with uh, an unhelpful, almost worship-like approach to patriotism. That's not what we're looking for. And so God, help us today to be so thankful for the freedom that you provide to be so thankful for the hope that we have and to never grow tired, to never grow weary of being your ambassador, of being your messenger, of being your beacon of light and your beacon of hope. God, I thank you for those men 241 years ago today who drew a line in the sand that says enough is enough and declared freedom, declared independence. But I'm even more thankful for a man 2,000 years ago. Even though he was sinless in every way, he went to the cross and he died a criminal's death because we're sinners, because we needed a Savior. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.